0: From a dot in the middle of the map, this is Midwesternish. I'm Gina Kaufman. If you're really into superheroes, you know that every superhero has an origin story, whether it's Superman coming to Earth from the imperiled planet of Krypton,
1: you've got super
0: speed and super strength and super hearing and x ray vision.
1: And I have a deadline, Lois. Now, please, if
0: you would excuse me, or Peter Parker's bite. From a radioactive spider.
1: Who are you, Spider-Man?
0: An origin story takes a character who's hit rock bottom, a character in crisis, and just when he looks like he's going to be crushed, instead, he gets secret powers, powers that help him save not just himself but all the other vulnerable people around him. some miraculous things about you surviving that explosion. You saved the owner's life. Why don't you just tell us your name?
1: My name is Luke Cage.
0: Luke Cage is one of the few black superheroes out there, and now he's the star of his own Netflix series. He has unbreakable skin, which means a bullet will not kill him. He doesn't wear a cape, he wears a hoodie. And he works washing dishes. That's one of the points of crossover for Nathan Lewis Jackson. Nathan is a writer on the show, and he's got an origin story of his own. He started out working at a barbecue joint in the Midwest. But he had a dream of becoming a writer, a dream that miraculously transformed when he was accepted into Juilliard. problem is, if you want to go to Juilliard, you need an apartment in New York.
1: For three weeks, I could not find anything. And for like two or three days, we were just kind of roaming the streets looking for apartments that we couldn't afford. I was like, yo, if we don't find anything today, we got. I don't have money to kind of sit in a hotel. We're gonna be homeless for a weekend.
0: Things didn't look good.
1: So I remember riding on down to East New York on the train. She fell asleep on my shoulder. My brother who was moving with me fell asleep on my shoulder, my baby was asleep, and all these people just leaning on me. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've just ruined all our lives on this little dream that I have.
0: On this episode, the origin story of Nathan Lewis Jackson. It starts in Kansas City, Kansas.
1: Wanda County. Uh, I grew up right off, like right off of the, the Quindaro area, like twenty seventh in Quindaro.
0: Quindaro is a neighborhood known for two things in Kansas City. It's known for the glory days of the past, when it was a crucial stop on the Underground Railroad and an early haven for African Americans in the middle of the country. But in the present, what you hear about are ruins, crumbling monuments, abandoned homes.
1: I feel like the people there are still there. The people there are still alive. Are there less houses in the sense of we, you know, there was a house here that my buddy used to live in and now there's just an empty lot and then we see several of that, yes. Are the businesses alive and vital? No, that's that's the issue too. Um, and I think that's the problem. Or even in the sense of, you talk about ruins, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about, said something about John Brown. I was like, you know the John Brown statue over there and there's these, this old, this, next to this building where it used to be a university. It was like an all-black university and then you got... Oh, parts of the Underground Railroad over it. all that's there. Like all that's there, that's a very important part of not just the history of that community, but the history of the city, the history of this nation. It's all right there. It's alive. It's a history there in that community, and people are there in that community. Um, so when I when people say ruins, I don't I don't know want to say ruins. It's not dead, but it's not what it used to be when I grew up there, and I don't think it's what it could be.
0: As a young man, he had dreams of leaving for a bigger city. He went to college, did a theater program at Kansas State University. And he wanted to become a writer, but he needed a job. You know, the kind that pays money. So he got one smoking ribs.
1: It was tough. It was real tough. It was like, it was, uh, it was tough. It was like being in a, like a little box and looking outside of this box and just kind of watching the world kind of go by. And I'd have friends in New York, I'd have friends, and they'd be doing things and I'd be stuck in my little box smoking ribs and you know, scooping out cornbread muffin mix and you know, every day I'd come home and I would smell like food. My wife would tell me to put my clothes in a bag and then shower and then like, it felt like even though I spent eight hours at work, I spent another two hours coming down from that or getting ready for that and I had no time to write. All the energy was sucked out of me.
0: He almost gave up on
1: his dream. I was I was very close to like forgetting about writing and just becoming like a, a manager of a restaurant because I said, this is you know, this is what I this is what I've been doing for four or five years. I guess this is maybe this is it because the writing thing isn't working right now.
0: But something inspired Nathan to apply for a program at Juilliard.
1: And I didn't think I was getting into Juilliard because it's Juilliard. and when they called me and told me I made like the, the last round, and I needed to come in for an interview. I told them I any minute I, my wife is going to have a child, so I can't do that. And I was like, "Oh, then I got to pick me, but I got a call and I was just getting ready to put some ribs into the smoker and I and they called me, told me I was in. I did like a lap around the restaurant that was <laughs> And 2 days later, uh Megan gave gave birth to my daughter. Um and then the big process of moving to New York happened. We had no money, had no didn't have great uh, didn't have great credit which apparently you need money and credit to get an apartment. I should have known that. I went to, I went to, I went to New York before them to kind of set things up like three weeks before for three weeks I could not find anything and then they came down um, and for like two or three days we were just kind of roaming the streets looking for apartments that we couldn't afford. And come Friday I was like yo if we don't find anything today we got I don't have money to kind of sit in a hotel. We're gonna be homeless for a weekend. I, I just got to send you back and then we'll have to do the whole semester apart which would not be good
0: oh yeah that would be it would have
1: been so bad. hard
0: with a newborn
1: and then a friend of mine called and said hey you're just looking in the wrong area you, you just need to find a, a cheaper place to live which might be a rougher neighborhood but that's what it is and i'm and i was thinking yo that's, that's not gonna happen i'm not gonna be able to find that place i've been here for three weeks and no one's giving me anything. How am I going to? It's 3 o'clock on Friday. Somebody's give me an apartment in two hours. She was like, just try. Come on out, out here. I know a guy. And I was ready to give up. And I, I give it to her. My wife was like, let's just do it because I don't want to do this time apart. So let's let's have faith here and just go. So I remember riding on down to East New York on the train. She fell asleep on my shoulder. My brother who was moving with me fell asleep on my shoulder. My baby was asleep. And all these people just leaning on me. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've just ruined all our lives on this little dream that I have.
0: So, right, this is where Nathan either has to become super Nathan or go back to the smoker. And we
1: get there and it's not, you know, the apartment's very nice. The neighborhood a little more, a little rougher, but the apartment was good. And uh, we, I started Juilliard and things kind of just, oh, thank goodness took off from there.
0: I mean being a new parent is great but it's very hands on and it gives the concept of full time a whole new meaning. How did you make that work in a new city, one that famously never sleeps and the opportunity of a lifetime to pursue your big dream. I mean a dream that you felt was passing you by when you had been working in your restaurant job, but your restaurant job paid money and and this new dream, this dream that you're pursuing at Juilliard is one that I'm guessing required really intense commitment and effort on your part
1: yes um i'm sitting there trying to come up with ways that i did that which there's a couple of ways i did that but that is useless trying to figure out how i did that because i didn't really do that my wife did that she wasn't working at the time and she she's from she's from hutch which is a smaller town and she kind of dropped everything at the time she was going to school, right before he left, she was going to school full time. She had a couple jobs. She goes, and now she goes, 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 she goes, 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 goes. And she dropped all that. And she moved to New York for me, for us, but for me, to pursue this dream and stayed at home with this child, which was not easy in a neighborhood that she was not familiar with, in a world that she was not familiar with. Um, and she did that for several years. And so that's how that was able, because without, without her doing that, this doesn't this doesn't happen, at least not that way. There's another route I have to go, but I was able to move to New York, go to Juilliard, and she is ninety-nine point eight point seven percent of why I had that was able that was that happened.
0: When you talk to Nathan about writing for Luke Cage, you get the distinct feeling you're talking to a guy who loves what he does.
1: I, when I grew up, I, I remember loving superheroes. I wasn't as familiar with Luke Cage and the character himself. Because um, he
0: debuted in the 70s. In
1: the 70s. And, and there wasn't a lot of Luke Cage comic books. But looking back now, and, and and even more, once I got the job, we just realized how much potential there was with this character, just with the simple fact of what his powers were, the strength and the unbreakable skin living in the world we're living in today. So he's he's a fantastic character to write for because there's so much, there's so much there with his past, with being in prison, being falsely accused. Um, it's so much uh, meat there for a writer.
0: His appearance is really interesting. I mean, in the world of comic book superheroes, mm-hmm. he has no spandex, no cape. Can you talk to me about that?
1: He definitely, we definitely want to make him more of a grounded character. If you look at the, again, you like you said, the character was invented in the seventies. Um, there are some issues with that seventies costume. Some people love it. Some people love the nostalgia of it. We did not. Um,
0: what are the issues with that seventies superhero costume?
1: It gets a little bit like you know we're watching a, a black exploitation you know thing. And if that's what you like, that's great. We didn't. We wanted to bring him into. Uh, 2015 I guess 2016 and a character that people today could better connect to um, so instead of having him wear a giant red or excuse me a yellow jacket or giant yellow shirt with this you know handcuffs and this tiara and these bell bottom jeans it was a hoodie and, and, and a t-shirt it, it, it he felt like somebody we connect with somebody we know um, the
0: hoodie has taken on Sort of sociological significance. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk to me? I mean, you said yourself that the there's a lot of power just right now in this idea of a black superhero who has unbreakable skin.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the hoodie. The hoodie's been a thing. I I I, I, I have a hoodie on right now. I wasn't even thinking about you know. I wasn't trying to make a social comment. I often have on a hoodie too. Super (laughs) warm. (laughs) <laughs> then I then I put the hoodie on my head, the the hoodie part. Now my head is warm. Um, it's a useful I, garment. It's fantastic. But now we live in a world where that has that means something else, and that's a dangerous thing. And a lot of people will tell you that African American men who wear these hoodies are putting themselves in a position of danger just for wearing a hoodie. So there's something about this very powerful character who you know rebels against that and uses this as his as his costume. This is who he is. And it, in a sense, gives strength to other black men across the country to say, hey, it's okay to wear the hoodie. Luke's wearing it.
0: Does your background growing up in KCK influence your characters, this character, Luke Cage, at all?
1: A little bit. I think so. I think it's not just KC, but the part of KC I grew up in. So there are some similarities, even though... Luke Cage isn't in, in Kansas City but he is in Harlem, he is in a predominantly black neighborhood which is where I grew up in there are definitely some similarities uh, there and some of the issues that he's dealing with, I remember growing up dealing with. Um, Such as? Violence, I, I would say some of the issues with that they're dealing with with guns, uh, him working at a restaurant the way just wanting to be left alone at times, you feel like that uh, I felt like that. Not as if I, I you know, I love this city. I, 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 I live here now. I plan to hopefully rest my bones here in this city. But I think, like everybody, sometimes your city gets on your nerves, and sometimes you just need a break. And I think, like Luke, I just wanted to, at times, just be by myself and be left alone.
0: Nathan's back in the city where he grew up. He's a writer in residence for a major theater company in town. And his Midwestern origins look different than they used to.
1: My perception of it is different. I look at Kansas City differently now since I've since I've left. Um, and the areas that, and, and the people that I meet. I don't know how much Kansas City has changed versus how my perception of Kansas City has changed.
0: What do you see that you didn't see
1: before? One of the big things is, I, you know, growing up I thought I lived in like a black city. I thought I didn't understand the makeup of the city. And not just that, I, you know, it wasn't just a racial makeup, but it was also economic. All that I didn't get. I, I, I was in a little bubble.
0: Getting out of that bubble, whatever it may be, is actually easier than we think it is. Or so says Nathan.
1: I remember growing up and listening in my car. I had this terrible little raggedy little blue Ford Festiva. And I would roll the windows up when I would listen to certain kinds of music because I didn't think that I was supposed to be listening to certain, like Journey. I, I got a Journey CD. I was like, yo, Steve Perry's killing me right now. <laughs> I love this. And I remember listening to it with the windows up because I can't have my boys hear me rocking out to Steve Perry though. So and then I met other people, black people, who were like, yo, I love journey too. <laughs> and then I would meet white folks who would say, You love journey? I'm like, I love journey. And I'm like, you like you like Digital Underground? You like this? Digi- what? You're white though. And then so that was like but that was like high school. And I learned that in high school, they're like, wait a minute. So you don't have to be put in this little box? Like you can be your own person. Wow. And I think sometimes we get in that where well, we think just because and it's again, it's so basic. To, and people say, oh, no, I don't think that. Well, take a step back and see if you actually think that I, I, I tend to find with when, when the racial divide comes with a certain amount of fear and a certain amount of ignorance. And those both can be you can eliminate that to a certain extent if you just get to know the people around you and don't get locked up in your own world like I said my all of my uh, um, stereotypes and all of my uh, fears kind of helped they went out the door a little bit once I started branching out from my area that I grew up in so I just ask that you that you you know that's the first step is to get to know the people around you and not just like one person around you just to know like I hear people say something oh I have a black friend well you have one black friend I don't know who that one dude is and he probably isn't a great representation of everyone I'm not a great representation of the whole African American community in order to understand the African American community you need a you need a larger sample size so you need to go talk to several different people same with the Latino community the same thing with uh, a, a man who doesn't understand women go talk to women there's a lot of women out there talk to them uh, 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 the people who don't understand the gay community get out there and 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 live life and live life with the people that are around you and then start there
0: spoken like a true hero
1: a singer in a smoke room a
0: this episode of Midwesternish was produced by Matt Hodapp and Jen Chen. Sylvia Maria Gross is our editor. You can subscribe to Midwesternish on NPR One or wherever you generally do that kind of thing. If you're liking Midwesternish and you want to hear more stories from our little crew, you can check out Central Standard, a daily talk show that I host on Kansas City's public radio station, KCUR 89.3. I'm Gina Kaufman. Catch you next time.